Well, as you might have guessed from my title there, our entryway into our passage this morning from John, one that you've likely heard dozens of times before, is the concept of a life hack. Jonah was talking to me about this on the way here. He mentioned that he believes my awareness of that term should be credited to him. That he, he was the one who told me what a life hack was. The internet has also explained to me what a life hack is, and probably him too, right? <laughs> a life hack, though, is sometimes a short video online, or at least the concept of a life hack is a short video or a picture or a short paragraph online explaining how you can do something that someone online, who knows whether they're credible or not, but someone online suggests to make your life better. In terms of a dictionary definition, life hack, a usually simple and clever tip or technique for accomplishing some familiar task more easily and efficiently. I think the objective of a life hack is some sort of trick or shortcut to make life easier. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes, maybe not so much. Again, this is the internet. Whoop. Here are a couple. You hit your snooze button too often in the morning, line it with a little tax. <laughs> you need to organize your chargers or your TV cables. You can use binder clips and clip them on the edge of your uh, entertainment center or cabinet and then use the, uh, the uh, I don't, what would that be? The eyelid of the clip or something like that to keep them together. You need to fill a, I, I kind of like this one. You need to fill a container, but it won't fit in your sink. Well, if you use a clean dustpan, you can create something of a, I guess that would be a funnel of some sort. You'll line it up there in your sink and turn your water on and it just funnels down into your, I think it's a mop bucket in that picture. I use this one. If you have water on the stove and you don't want it to boil over, if you use your wooden spoon and you just lay it across the top, if, if those bubbles hit the wooden spoon, they will dissipate. It actually, that, one, that one works. That one works. Stack your clothes. Then you can see what you have when you just look at your dresser. I, I, uh, I, I tried this actually last night. I spent some time refolding some of my shirts. My problem is I think I didn't, I didn't fold them tight enough because they were still too high for my... Some life hacks could use improvement. Sometimes it's the, it's the uh, utilizer of the hack that's the problem to start with. I put this one in here for Jonah, primarily. Not for Jonah and his ability to eat a popsicle. My, my boys tell me I am a notoriously slow eater. And this is true. I, I, don't, I do not eat very fast. And because of that... I don't eat 
uh, popsicles because I feel like it's a race that I don't want to be a part of. You got to eat the popsicle before it melts. <laughs> However, Jonah, look at this. My problems are solved. I just need a little muffin tin, and then I can collect it in my little, my little bowl. Some of those may be helpful. Some of them, maybe not. Life didn't require the advent of the internet or the spread of social media for people looking for ways to make their lives more efficiently and smoothly, did it? We've always wanted that. Last week, we left Jesus and his disciples in the upper room having at least what was unknowingly to the disciples at that point, the Last Supper. And then Jesus, embodying servanthood, began washing their feet. Their lives were about to become exponentially more difficult in just the hours and days that would come next. The path that lay ahead was one of great change and challenge. In chapter 13, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he dismisses Judas to go and do what he must do quickly. He tells the disciples, love one another as I have loved you. That's the mandate of that Thursday meal. That's where we get the word Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. The, 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 the mandate is to love one another. And then the... <laughs> The, the, the focus of the conversation begins to, to narrow even more on what awaits for Jesus. And Peter says, I will not deny you. These jokers, they might. Not me. Not me. To all of them gathered, though, Jesus had given a dire warning. In verse thir- chapter 13, towards the end. Now the Son of Man, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And they must have liked that verse, right? Again, the glory of God displayed through the life of Jesus. And then Jesus always had a way to, I don't want to say ruin it, but to, 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 to make it not as, uh, maybe not the outcome that the disciples would have wanted. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. Uh, Just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So uh, Jesus, at the outset of what we sometimes call the farewell discourse, it's basically John, maybe John 13, there's dispute about where it actually starts. If it begins at the time of the washing of the feet, or if it actually more aptly begins at John 14 through about John 17. Jesus' last time of teaching pre-crucifixion to just now the 11 disciples that remained in the room. It begins with this warning that things are going to change, that there is imminent separation that awaits the disciples and Jesus. Regarding the general structure of the words in John's gospel over these next several chapters, one author, he was trying to to describe 
kind of the tenor of the conversation. That it, that it's not it's not some well thought out speech delivered by Jesus to his disciples. It, it is not a, a presentation where there are charts and graphs. He, he said the closest that I ever got to it was when I dropped my daughter off at college. A little disjointed in, in terms of the delivery and the focus. A, a lot of information in a short amount of time with priority given to those matters that were most significant. Maybe you've had a time like that where you are trying to, you know, whether it's dropping a kid off at school or, or uh, uh, maybe it was the, the day of your child's wedding or something like that where you, sit, you have all of this information running through your head and, and it's all, what, what's the, not, not to get too grotesque here, but I think the word sometimes is word vomit where you're just, you know, just, just word after word and lesson after lesson of, of what you want them to hear. And, and I, I don't want to, uh, uh, to, to denigrate the, the holy words of Jesus in Scripture to, to that, but you kind of get that sense, and I think you will as, as we read through this, this, this dialogue that exists between Jesus and the disciples as he's giving them the last little bit of information before his crucifixion and, and eventually his ascension. And they're asking him these questions and, and they're worried about what comes next. And, and his message to them is so direct in regard to their worry. He says at the opening of John 14, after he has said, where I am going, you cannot come. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be, or you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, uh, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Let not your hearts be troubled. This was a major emphasis in Jesus' teaching and ministry. Sometimes it is said another way. Do not be afraid. Any guesses? We'll take just a moment here. Any, any guesses? How many times in the Gospels, some derivative of do not be afraid or fear not or do not let your hearts be troubled, how many times does Jesus say it? Anybody want to guess? I was way off in my thoughts. Who thinks more than 50? More than 70? More than 80? 90? 100? 103 times in the Gospels. There is some directive from Jesus to the disciples, to the crowd, sometimes to an individual, where the message is, do not be afraid. 
Bible scholars say that that represents just short of a third of the times throughout all of Scripture. In fact, it, it, works, it works well for people who write devotionals. There are those who have counted it up and say there are 365 times in all of Scripture where the word from God to people, a group or an individual, or from Jesus is do not be afraid. Well, we have 365 days in a year, right? That's the, that's the hook. The, for each day of the year, there is a verse that encourages that we fear not. What takes the place of a fearful or a troubled heart, though? Simply giving the negative command, what not to do, do not be afraid, do not let your hearts be troubled, doesn't suffice for me. If I'm worried about something, if I'm concerned, if I am afraid, if I'm scared, and somebody says, as I have said to my own kid, oh, don't be afraid. That really doesn't help much, does it? Well, what am I supposed to do with, with all of this anxiety <coughs> and nervous energy if I'm not going to funnel it to fear? Jesus gives the antidote for a troubled heart. It's not unique to John 14. In fact, it's arguably the most emphasized element of a relationship with Jesus in the whole of the Gospels. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me, I think is how the other translation said it. Belief. Trust. From the same root word in the Greek is, a, is the not even A. It is the major emphasis in John. It is what separates those who see and those who do not. In fact, here's another number for you. 98 times, 98 times the verb is used. Believe. Trust. Believe, trust in the person and the work of Jesus. 98 times. Let not your heart be troubled, but belief. Trust in me. I've told you before, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I can sort of relate to Thomas. When faced with a problem or an obstacle, I find it most effective when my heart is troubled. I find it most effective to try and strategize through my options. Choosing the one that seems to give me the best chance of success. And sometimes that means laying out a few steps to get to the objective. I think Thomas probably would have liked making lists. I think Thomas was a list maker. I think he was sincere in his question too. Jesus has just said, where I'm going, you cannot come in the end of chapter 13. And then Jesus says, that, where I'm going, you will come. And Thomas says, wait a minute. Before we just move on from there, we don't even know where you're going, much less how to get to where you are going. I don't think he was criticizing Jesus. I think his question came from a sincere heart of a committed disciple who wanted to be wherever Jesus was. Sometimes, though, in Scripture, sometimes, though, in Scripture, 
you do get the sense the disciples are kind of looking for the, the three-point sermon. <laughs> the, 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 the seven uh, habits of highly effective people. The Ten Commandments, whatever the number is, Lord, just just give us the give us the, uh, the, the 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 strategy to get to where we need to go. We'll follow it if you just tell us what it is. Jesus' response to Thomas is that famous verse: "I am the way." Thomas said, "What is the way?" Jesus says, "Thomas, you're looking at it." It's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Though probably impossible for Thomas and the other ten remaining in the room to grasp at that time, even though Jesus' physical proximity with the disciples was about to change, the way remained, the way remained through a relationship of trust in Jesus. The good news is that invitation remains open to everyone. The bad news, there are no shortcuts to trust. There is no hack for a life of intimate connection and trust and belief and reliance on Jesus. There are no hacks or workarounds to a relationship. We know this. We know this. We experience it. I tried to word this carefully. I think think it makes sense. Though you may not equally intimately trust everyone you've known a long time, I dare to say, those you do most deeply trust all likely are folk you've known a long time. Now, there may be positions that you trust because of the position. Huh? I, I was thinking about this. I have kind of a natural trust in folk that wear a badge. I have a natural trust in folk with a stethoscope around their neck. And whose badge says MD. I trust the position that they hold. Now the person, eh, I don't know. Depends how long I've known them. Depends how they've demonstrated themselves to me in the past. Trust takes time to develop. It took time for the disciples to trust Jesus. Shoot, he had to tell the guys he physically spent three years with over a hundred times to do it. In urging his followers to trust him and not to allow their hearts to be troubled, Jesus was not telling us, hey, never be sad. Life is just a box of chocolates or whatever analogy you want to use. Instead, his message is this. Even when evil and death surround us, as as it was closing in on him and the disciples in those moments, even when they appear to be victorious, a life that has learned to trust Jesus is a life that does not lose heart. 
as those learning to trust Jesus, we trust he is present and working wherever evil and death seem to be dominant. May our faith stand the test of time as our trust increases with the duration of time.